0: Hello, everyone. Welcome to Eternity, where love never fails. Hello, everyone. Thanks for listening. This is the Eternity Bible Study Podcast, where we walk through the Bible together every weekday, Monday through Friday, We're podcasting from here, in the United States, and in Zambia, with a goal to share our thoughts and encourage one another as we read God's Word together, verse by verse. My co-host in Zambia, Matali, and I are both listening to Through the Bible podcast and then sharing our thoughts and encouragement with you. From America to Africa and everywhere else, God is in control. As always, our attribution goes to Through the Bible with Dr. J. Vernon McGee. So if you've ever wanted to try to read the Bible every day, we hope you can join us. We're regular people just like you, trying to learn more about God and walk in step with His Holy Spirit. So if you have your Bible, feel free to read along. And If not, no problem. We'll try to put it all together for you. So let's get started. Today we're starting a new book of the Bible, Lamentations. Lamentations is a book that follows, of course it's in the Old Testament, it follows the book another book of jeremiah jeremiah was a prophet jeremiah was often called the weeping prophet he was all by himself he stayed he started his called a ministry around uh, age 20 years old and he served under five kings king josiah was the first king he was a good king and then jehoiah was a king that only lasted three months and then jehoiakim was another son of josiah And he rejected his dad's uh, revival-type preaching, and uh, he was a lousy king. And then Jehoiachin was even worse, and then um, Zedekiah was the last king. He was actually a king that Babylon—he was like a puppet king that Babylon installed when Babylon had conquered the nation. And then Babylon comes in a second time and sort of reconquers it and basically— uh, burns the city. Jeremiah was right by himself. Jeremiah shows us what it's like to be by ourselves. Have have you felt like you're by yourself, or do you know what that's like? I think, I think sometimes we all do. Um, peer pressure, one of the strongest things that we face sometimes, you know, growing up or as Christians. I remember when I was a little boy, they told me not to uh, follow peer pressure. But can you imagine the peer pressure on Jeremiah? He's the only prophet. He had no contemporary prophets. There was nobody around him to verify what he had to say. And he was right by himself. He was rejected by everybody. And he was a tender-hearted fellow. Do you feel like you're a tender-hearted person? Well, if you do, you're like Jeremiah. Why would God use a tender-hearted person? You know, usually... The, you think of these prophets as rough and tough people, but he wasn't rough and tough. He was a fella that didn't, you know, you often saw him crying. You often saw him weeping. God, I think, you know, when McGee thinks that God was picking a fellow like Jeremiah to really reveal the emotion, the turmoil that God must have felt inside to have to punish this nation that he loved so much, he had to completely devastate the nation. Because they were so sinful. So Jeremiah really shows us what that's like. To walk the walk right by yourself. To stand up for God right by yourself. And no matter what happens to him. Jeremiah was beaten so many times. They threatened to kill him so many times. They threw him in jail. I think it was four or five times. They, um, he was actually in jail when Bab- the Babylonians came in. And took over Jerusalem. They even threw him in a pit. And let him die in quicksand, but he got rescued. So just to show you, after the Babylonians come in and completely devastate the southern kingdom. This is Judah now the southern kingdom, the last kingdom to fall. that's where Jerusalem was, and they actually burned Jerusalem. They take all the people they take all the people back to Babylon to Babylon. Anybody who was worth anything, of course, they left the, the the remnant behind. They left the people they didn't think they could use, but those were the people that God was going to eventually use. Now, of course, at the end of Jeremiah, the book of Jeremiah, they're talking about going to Egypt because there's just nothing left for them. Can you imagine being behind with these kind of people? And they're just saying, "Well, we're gonna we're now we're gonna go to Egypt." And they eventually go to Egypt and they force Jeremiah to go. Despite his warning, God saying, Don't go to Egypt. Stay here and trust me. Let me protect you. And of course the people are saying, We can't trust God. He didn't protect us when the Babylonians came in. But, you know, their hearts were hard. They didn't realize he wasn't protecting them because they weren't trusting him to start with. So Jeremiah is all about uh, now, after all this is over, this little book of Lamentations, as McGee points out, it's a book of laments. It's a book of how sorrow, uh, the sorrowful he was, and it's almost like poetic that the he's speaking on behalf of Jerusalem, the city, saying how sorrowful the, the city is. If the city could speak, it would speak out the words Jeremiah is using. So Jeremiah is lamenting over all the people who had perished, all the people who got judged. But at the same time, he's acknowledging that it had to happen because God is a good judge. I mean, God is a righteous judge. God's judgment has to occur because God is holy and righteous. And we are so unholy and unrighteous. But if we we don't depend on God, if we don't follow His example, then we are going to die in our own sin. God wants us to live in His righteousness. So here we have this book, and um, I've never read it um, like this to to do a good study, so I'm really, really interested in in doing this study. And I know Matali back in Zambia is too, and she'll be uh, giving her insight after after mine um let me read you a couple of things a key themes that uh, i'm just reading from my study bible that might help put some of this in perspective as we start uh these are a few points number one um, it offers compelling prayers that confessions of sin and expressions of renewed hope and things that just declare total dependence on God's grace, it's just prayer it's 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 almost like a prayer of the city for the city by the city of the people that confesses their sin and and it's prayers of hope and declares just the total dependency on god's grace and even for us today, when we sin, this is sort of like a book of of mourning for sin. When we sin too, when we find ourselves in sin, how important it is to confess it, but how important it is to realize that we have hope. Sin is not the end. And how totally dependent we are on God's grace, on God's mercy on our lives. To be in our lives, to save our lives, and to walk with us every day. If God's not in our lives, we are, we are basically, um, we, have no, we have nothing left to avoid death. It's just a way of looking at it. But we, have, we are incapable of life without God in some capacity in our life. It's the only book of the Bible written by a person who endured one manifestation of the divine judgment the Bible calls the day of the Lord. You know, the Bible talks about the day of the Lord as when um, judgment is rendered. So judgment got rendered on Jerusalem in the day of the Lord because His wrath gets revealed. They finally see the revelation of His wrath. But another day of the Lord is talked about in the Bible when um, Jesus comes back to reestablish his kingdom on that day, in the day of the Lord. We saw that in Thessalonians. So one of those days of the Lord, Jeremiah gets to witness. And boy, and he, it was very, very powerful and impactful for when that day came. So we see sort of a a physical... Um, sign of the day of the Lord because we see it played out on the city of Jerusalem. Jerusalem, God is using the destruction of Jerusalem to give us a picture of His wrath. To give us, He's using this nation in this capacity to show us what punishment is. Number three, the book's authorship setting, contents, and theology underline its value for understanding the nature of pain, sin, and redemption. It gives us this picture of what pain is in sin and what redemption from that sin should feel like. Now, it's from the perspective of Jerusalem. It's from the perspective of Jeremiah, but it's also from the perspective of God. It gives us a picture. It teaches us even here, of what sin does to a nation, of what sin does to a family, of what sin does to an actual person. Number three, this third point, Lamentations agrees with all the theology in the Old Testament that Jerusalem falls because of people's sin, because they rejected God's word sent through the prophets, and because the leaders and the rulers led the people astray. And God warns and warns and warns, but the people didn't heed this warning. So it reaffirms all this earlier prophecy that Jerusalem's going to have to pay the price. But it also does something different. The fifth point here is that it affirms God's Faithful, never-ceasing mercy. So even in this utter destruction of Jerusalem, complete devastation, complete breaking of a nation, that God's not finished with His people, even, even now, to be so bad, And it shows us in another way, teaches us in another way that even when we sin and we sin really, really bad or we are so messed up or we get ourselves way over our head, you know, or we get ourselves underwater, God's not finished with us. God loves us that much. His mercy doesn't stop with our sins. He has mercy on us. He wants us to be safe. But it also shows us that when we reject God, when we completely reject God, unfortunately, God's judgment is real. God's judgment is real. So... The sixth point is that this book agrees with the earlier books like the Psalms that these prayers of confession and petition are how this a broken relationship with God gets restored. It's when we acknowledge God, when we pray to God, when we, when we um, petition God, we can restore that relationship. God's mercy is never ending. It's waiting on us. The only thing that gets us into this position like Jerusalem is to completely just reject God. So none of us should be able to say we're too far from God's mercy or we've done the, the we've done the, we've we've committed the straw that breaks the camel's back. You can't break God's back. The only thing you can do is just reject God's mercy. And when you reject God's mercy, when you reject God's teaching, when you reject God's love, this is what this nation had done. And this is what we see, this um, example. And perhaps this is sort of an example of when... God's judgment will come back a second time when Jesus Christ returns to earth it'll be just like that to those who reject God and the last point it just re- agrees with this emphasis on the day of the lord found in all these prophetic prophetic books the day is the day god comes to judge so it can occur in this context, context of judging Jerusalem, but also it's prophetic in that it's talking about days in the future, like the days of judgment for us too. Even though some people may be already past, the day of God's judgment will come for them too. And as we remember when we studied in the 1st and 2nd Thessalonians, how awesome that was that the dead in Christ will rise first. There won't be any advantage of already being alive. And Christ will be bringing those with Him back to the earth. So it kind of talks that we have a soul, but we have a body. And the bodies of those who... um, our dead will rise, but but it talks in First Thessalonians about Christ will be bringing those with Him. As McGee's pointing out, we have that spiritual side, we have that earthly side that will be reunited with Christ on that day. But on that day also will be judgment on those who are not with Christ. So this is with. This is how we start Lamentations. So I'll hit some of the high points here. Um, it's, it's kind of poetic in that he's speaking for Jerusalem. He's painting this picture with these powerful metaphors that we'll be looking at. So let's get started. Lamentations chapter 1, verse 1, How lonely sits the city that was full of people. It starts out, the land is just desolated, Right? And he's looking over this city. If you can imagine. All by yourself. And he's he's speaking for the city now. How like a widow she's become. Who was great among the nations. A widow. How lonely is a widow. Family's gone. Husband's gone. Thinking back on the happier times. Of when there was joy in the home. She was... Who was a princess among the provinces has become a slave. Times used to be so good, but now it's like a nightmare. Totally different. Verse 2 She weeps bitterly in the night with tears on her cheeks. Have you ever cried that hard at night? Just in bitter weeping? It's bad among all her lovers she has none to comfort her <clears throat> and all her friends have dealt treacherously with her they have become her enemies the lovers this thing is sort of like this analogy to um the former allies israel was he he was con- there's always this this metaphor that re- reoccurs that israel is um sort of like the, uh, the bride, and the bridegroom was like Christ. And um, the bride would turn away from the bridegroom and then follow these other lovers who were like um, Egypt or some of these other nations that the nation Israel would try to uh, make treaties with. Thinking that these other nations would protect the nation, but again um God says, why would why if if I'm the bridegroom what what bride what bride would turn away from the bridegroom like this? you know, and so God uses this analogy of a bride and a bridegroom and sort of this unfaithful bride analogy just to show. It puts into a context, a picture of what love is. People understand that. People understand love. People understand what being a bride is or a bridegroom. And people understand that, that terrible feeling of when you have an unfaithful partner. So we see that, and it's, and it's just this great teacher showing the people what love is and what, what good love is and what, what impure love is. Judah had gone into exile because of affliction and hard servitude. Judah means the nation, the southern kingdom. This is where Jerusalem was. She dwells now among among the nations, but finds no resting place. Her pursuers have all overtaken her in the midst of her distress. So he's speaking like Judah is a woman now, or sort of gives you that female perspective of an unfaithful bride who's now Dwelling among all these other nations. Why? Because the people are now, have been taken captive. Okay? So they're living in other places. They are now living in Babylon. Verse 4, The roads to Zion mourn. <clears throat> For none come to the festival. All the gates are desolate. Her priests groan. Her virgins have been afflicted. And she herself suffers bitterly. So she sort of, the the this sort of uh, lamentation is sort of speaking, um, very poetic about the different parts of the city or the different parts of the those who dwell in the city, everything has been affected. everybody suffered, and it's even speaking as if the city was a person. The city suffered everything is desolated. People used to come and go, and there was joy and talk and laughter. And people were planning to get married, starting families. It was life. And now it's death. And now it's just the emptiness of death is about the nation. It's about the city. Verse 5, Her foes have become the head. Her enemies prosper because the Lord has afflicted her for the multiple multitude of her transgressions. Okay, So the reason for all this, we get right to it, the Lord did this. It wasn't these, the fact that these other nations were so great. It was the fact that the Lord was in control. The Lord was sovereign. And it was because of the sin that exists. And the sin is there. And this greater sin caused eventually the, the hearts of the people, the hearts of the priests, the hearts of the whole nation finally got to the point where everybody turned away from God. Remember, Jeremiah all this time was warning the priests, was warning the leaders, was warning the people over and over and over, almost like it was 40 years. Verse 6, From the daughter of Zion all her majesty has departed, her princes have become like deer that find no pasture, like they're nowhere to be seen. Verse 7, Jerusalem remembers in the days of her affliction and wanderings all the precious things that were hers from the days of old when her people fell into the hand of the foe. So Jerusalem, if Jerusalem was a person, Jerusalem remembers these things that were hers. Gifts from God. Where do we get things We ultimately get things from God, right? We think they come from ourselves. We think we've earned the money to buy the car. We think we've earned the money to buy the groceries that put in the car. We think we've earned the money to buy the oven or the stove that we get from the car that we came from the grocery store. You know, all these tangible things that we think we have, and then we sit in front of the TV and look at the TV, and then we lay in the bed that the money that we earned bought, and we take all these precious things for granted that we think comes from us, that we bought at Costco, or that we bought at the supermarket, or that we bought at the mall somewhere. But God say, look, all these things that you have, that you've, your clothes, your, um, all the things that you think are precious. Some people may think their sports equipment are precious. Some people may think their computer is precious or their phone. All these things are just things. But they came from God. They're blessings from God. We don't have anything without God. they took those for granted didn't they they didn't they didn't thank god for their blessings these precious things were from god verse 8 jerusalem sinned grievously therefore she became filthy all who honored her despised her for they've seen her nakedness she herself groans and turns her face away Jerusalem becomes filthy because of sin, and it's just comparing Jerusalem to this unfaithful bride, who many people have seen in their in her nakedness. There, in other words, this unfaith—you know—these metaphors of just being unfaithful. What it's like. To turn away from God. It's like that unfaithful bride turning away from a bridegroom who loves her so much. That's what it felt like to God. We're seeing an inside, a window, not only to the to the um to the emotion, to the emotional suffering that the people felt. The city, if the city could even speak. But look as a parent, how it must grieve a parent to see one's children turn away and just appear to be lost. Or how, mu- how much it must grieve a, a bridegroom to watch a bride have affairs or just turn away from pure love. Or how must you know, and it goes the other way. A bride seeing an unfaithful bridegroom. We'll drop down to verse 10. The enemy has outstretched his hands all over her precious things. Precious things would be possibly an analogy to her children. Okay? Because the enemy, the Babylonians, took the children. So if... if speaking as if Jerusalem was like a mother. All her things, all her children, all her people are gone. Her family is gone. So we're kind of speaking almost like the emotion of a family now. We're looking at God's emotion through Jeremiah as to what God must be feeling. God gives us these pictures for a reason, to see, to understand the suffering that has occurred For she has seen the nations enter her sanctuary. This is the temple. Those whom you forbade to enter your congregation. Verse 11. All her people groan as they search for bread. They trade their treasures for food to revive their strength. Has that ever been that bad for you? To see beggars? You go to some areas in many countries and you see people begging for food. Begging. They don't have anything else how often we take for granted those little treasures to have food or have strength that comes from the food. If Jerusalem could talk, what what would it say? Verse 11 continues, Look, O Lord, and see, for I am despised. Is there nothing? Is it nothing to you? All You who pass by look and see if there is any sorrow like my sorrow which was brought upon me which the Lord inflicted on the fierce on the day of his fierce anger Jeremiah's writing if Jerusalem could talk look what Jerusalem would say it's a call for help isn't it Look, anybody who could walk by, look at me. Look what has happened. This is not inflicted by the Babylonians. Now, this would be a city who just experienced the Babylonians, but it doesn't acknowledge the Babylonians. This acknowledges only the Lord. When good things happen to us, do we acknowledge those good things, those blessings in our life properly? When bad things happen to us, do we blame the bad things? Or do we acknowledge God's sovereignty, God's hand, God's purpose? The bad thing isn't the sovereign thing, it's God that's the sovereign thing. When heavy rains come and floods our homes, do we curse the rain or do we acknowledge God's sovereignty? When somebody hits us and a motor vehicle accident occurs, do we, do we curse that event or do we say God is sovereign? I'm here. I'm still alive because God is sovereign. Well, that's what Jerusalem is saying. It's acknowledging God's sovereignty, even though the city just experienced this total, total devastation. Verse 13, From on high He sent fire into my bones. He made it descend. He spread out a net for my feet. He turned me back. He has left me stunned, faint all the day long. This is judgment. This is judgment occurring. We'll drop down to verse 15. The Lord rejected all my mighty men and my midst. He summoned an assembly against me to crush my young men. The, those who were trying to fight for Jerusalem, they were rejected. God was against them. Sometimes when we try to figure things out ourselves, when we try to defend our own city, our own situation with our own mighty men, we think we're mighty enough to do it, smart enough to do it, clever enough to figure out a a way to get around something. If we're not with God, God's not with us. We can't do anything. We can't do it. Verse 16. For these things I weep with my eyes. My eyes flow with tears. For a comforter is far from me. One to revive my spirit. My children are desolate. For the enemy has prevailed. Complete devastation. Nothing like crying with none to comfort you. None to revive you. And it's like a a mother or a parent that sees the children that you were supposed to be protecting they've been they've been kidnapped they've been murdered they've drowned they have been burned they have been you see their bodies this is utter devastation to a parent who's supposed to be protecting the children and the the the, the bitter Weeping and crying of a parent with no one to say it's okay. Just nothing. Zion stretches out her hands, but there's none to comfort her. The Lord has commanded against Jacob that his neighbors should be his foes. Jerusalem has become a filthy thing among them. Alone in the world. What does it feel like to be just alone? This is it. Isn't it amazing how we take the presence of God in our life for granted sometimes? That we can just pray, oh, thank you God for the sun. Thank you God for being with me. All this stuff, sometimes we take our prayer life for granted. Having nobody to comfort you. Remember, God is a God of comfort. And we always have comfort in the presence of the Holy Spirit. We always have comfort in the presence of the Lord. That's what the gospel message is for us. It's grace. It's comfort. It gives us hope. This is the absence of God. This is the absence of the gospel message. This is the absence of comfort, of grace, of hope. This is the absence of that. When God is not in uh, our life, this is it. And the world today, even in the world wallowing around in sin, has the presence of God. It can ask, it can call on the name of God. And I think a lot of people sin, but in the back of their mind, they still know that God's around. And they sort of in that way take God's presence for granted, even when they're living in their sin. Because they know that the world, there are good there is good in the world. They can always fall back on it. But suppose you had a world where there is no good in the world. There is no love in the world. Love is an emo love is a feeling that doesn't depend on love coming back. That's pure love. We all know what that is, but we always sometimes don't have it. But we all cling to it. When you have this love that comes to us that's not deserved, undeserved love, that's the love of a parent. We all relate to that, but we take it for granted that it's in the world. What would it feel like to have no undeserved love for people? That means nobody would comfort you because you can't give them something. What a cold, wicked world that would be. No consolation for anything. Verse 18, The Lord is in the right, for I have rebelled against His word. But hear, all you people, and see my suffering. My young women and my young men have gone into captivity. Okay? people, the children, the families, they're gone. And if Jerusalem was a mother or a father or any kind of a parent, this is the motion to see that there's nothing left. There's no happiness. There's just bitterness. There's no comfort. We'll end with verse 19, I called my lovers, but they deceived me. My priests and elders perished in the city while they sought food to revive their strength. The lovers, again, is is an analogy to the allies, the people that you think are going to help you. You call out to them to help you. Just as Jerusalem called to Egypt or the surrounding uh, areas for support, the Babylonians came in. You couldn't depend on Egypt. It couldn't depend on um, the Assyrians to the north. They made treaties with Assyria to the north, and then they made treaties with Egypt to the west. It couldn't depend on them. Friends, allies, anybody for help. But they let them down, didn't they? They deceived me. Jesus says, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. That was John 14, chapter 6. The only truth comes from the Lord. All others, even though they may be well-meaning friends, Jesus is the only way, the only truth, the only life. My priests and elders perished the people who were supposed to be protecting the people, they died too. They died hungry looking for food. Isn't it ironic that the Word of God is the bread of life? They didn't have any bread. They died looking for bread when they had it all along. They died looking for something to drink but they had living water all along. What a tragedy. What a tragedy. And for us, it's the same thing. Sometimes we, we take God's presence in our lives for granted. And maybe it shows up in our prayer life. Maybe it shows up in the way we approach the day. Maybe it shows up in the way we approach other people. So let's stop here. This is where McGee stops. And we will continue our study in Lamentations tomorrow. What an awesome book this is looking to be. So now I'll turn the rest of the podcast over to my co-host in Zambia, Mitali. Mitali, I hope you're doing great. And I can't wait to hear your take on the Word today. God bless you all. Keep your heart centered on Christ. And I'll see you again tomorrow. Take care.
1: Hello. So today's teaching is coming from Lamentations, beginning at chapter 1, verses 1 all the way to verse 12. So the book of Lamentations follows the book of Jeremiah. So it follows the prophecy of Jeremiah. So here... Jeremiah's hot tears are pouring down his cheeks as he sits in the warm ashes of a burnt down Jerusalem. So Lamentations here is um, a book of sorrow. It's a book of tears and, um, you know, it's, it's after the destruction of jerusalem and you know the city is destroyed and the temple is destroyed so this book follows the prophecy of jeremiah so jeremiah's soul is laid bare before us so he moves us you know it moves us you know it moves us because um it moves jeremiah and um and and you know the heart of jeremiah it moves us to the heart of Jeremiah, and he, he gave a message that broke his own heart because he had a harsh message, and Jeremiah had, um, you know, a heart of a mother. So he began his ministry as a young man during the reign of King Josiah, and, you know, Josiah led the last revival in Jerusalem, and um, this revival was largely on the surface, but, you know, a lot of hearts were actually touched because um, the people had fallen back into um, idolatry and, you know, they were doing all things that were against what the Lord, against the Lord's commandments and the, and the, and the law. So the book of law was actually found um, in the temple after, you know, there was the massive clean out by um, Josiah. And, um, you know, Jeremiah continued on after the untimely death of King Josiah at the battle of Megiddo against Pharaoh Necho. So, you know, a battle that Josiah should not have, you know, should stay out of. He shouldn't have gone to that particular battle. And Jeremiah had warned him to go, uh, not to go against uh, Pharaoh Necho, but he actually went there and he, he died. And Jeremiah moaned for, mourned for him. And, um, and, 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 you know, Jeremiah and, and Josiah were friends. because um, Jeremiah started his his prophecy at a pretty young age and uh, Jeremiah prophesied during the reign of the four treacherous wicked kings and um this was um you know after the death of Josiah and he he prophesied during the reign of uh Jehoahaz, Jehoakim, Jehoachin, and Zedekiah and um You know, we witnessed the destruction of Jerusalem in the book of Jeremiah and um, he saw Jerusalem burn and he sat down in the warm ashes, you know, and hot tears fell down his cheeks because he was heartbroken. So he is the prophet who had a broken heart. He's a prophet um, of a broken heart. So there was a lot of, um, you know, dirge of dis- of desolation it's an account of agony this particular book and this book is the wailing wall of the bible so jeremiah had a heart of a mother and you know he was sensitive he was sympathetic he was tender and he gave um the strongest and harshest message in the book you know what better person to actually give this you know than somebody who has this sensitive and sympathetic heart towards the people and this Is how God actually felt. This is why God picked this particular person. So He announced the destruction of Jerusalem, and you know, pronounced judgment, and you know, He, you know, He counselled them. He told them to actually surrender, and this actually got him into a lot of trouble because um, you know, this is a prophet saying you know surrender because the Lord God says you know um, you anoint you know, like to avoid, you know, mass deaths and killings and no one listened to him. He was thrown in jail and uh, no one just listened to him. He was alone. He was standing there alone. Um, You know, the book is a dirge of dissolution. You know, it's an account of agony, how God actually felt through Jeremiah. So we begin at chapter one and, um, you know, verse one reads, how lonely sits the city that was full of people, how like a widow is she who was great among the nations, the princes among the provinces, has become a slave. So here, you know, he's talking about how the city um you know, how did this particular, you know, blessed city fall? You know, what is the explanation? And then, you know, we are given two very important statements here that are actually made, the reason why this particular city fell. So the explanation, um the first explanation at is at verse 8 of chapter 1 which reads Jerusalem has sinned gravely or grievously therefore she has become vile all who honor her despise her because they have seen her nakedness yes she sighs and turns away so here you know the strength of the city was that you know they were serving the living and true God. Now they turn their backs on him and, um, you know, their nakedness is actually revealed because they're no longer worshiping the true and living God. They are going against him. They rejected God. They rejected his word. They rejected his prophet, his, his prophet Jeremiah. And, you know, Jerusalem has sinned gravely and everyone has seen through her. And, you know, they cannot turn to anybody. They the, All the other nations they tried to turn to, you know, uh, Sidon and Tyre, Edom and Ammon. They tried to turn to all these nations. But, you know, no, alas, they couldn't turn to all these nations because God's judgment was coming on all these nations. They were looking all over, but they were not looking up to God. And, um, you know, the second um, explanation is coming at verse 18 of chapter 1. And it reads the Lord is righteous for I rebelled against his commandments and uh, his commandments hear now all peoples and behold my sorrow, my virgins and my young men have gone into captivity. So here Jeremiah is the only mourner at the destruction of Jerusalem because he carried this harsh message. So he knew the destruction that was coming um, against these people and You know, he's the only mourner. He's sitting in these warm ashes and crying for the city. The city, you know, is lying in ashes and he's weeping because the city has sinned. So the Lord is righteous. So God did it. He destroyed that city and he did because he's righteous and because it's right. And this is what he did. So the two things um, that are revealed here, you know, they are bittersweet. So God, you know, had to cleanse away, you know, the bad parts in order, you know, to, to let the good part sprout up. So it's a bittersweet thing. Jerusalem has sinned and God loves Jerusalem with an everlasting la- love, you know, according to scripture. So hence he brought this upon them. You know, it's like if we relate it in our local situation, you know, in our homes, if we do, um, if we don't do right, you know, our our parents get to punish us because, you know, it's a learning and a teaching point. And this is how God is towards us, his children. If we go against him, you know, that particular punishment and judgment is coming upon us. So because God loves us so much, you know, it's more like our parents. If they just let us like, you know, oh, yeah, you do wrong and they don't do anything about it. Um, just imagine how how we're going to turn out to be. Or like, you know, say, you know, the example Dr. J.V. McGee gave, you know, prisons are... At you know the liberty of the non-criminals, at the liberty of the free. So you know, imagine in a nation where there is no punishment for crime. Imagine you know the kind of lawlessness that would actually go on. Anyone can go about and do whatever they want to do. They can go murder, steal. They can go and do you know whatever horrible atrocities they feel like doing without a punishment. And um, this is how we can relate it today. What God did to the nation, Israel, to, to those people in Judah, because they sinned, they turned against God. They were, and God did not want them to go into eternal damnation, into that pit, that hellfire. And, you know, God wept for them, you know, um, but through Jeremiah and, um, you know, there is a need for the revelation of God's anger. And, you know, it's not always about teaching, you know, um, comforting words to people. Yes, our God is a God of love. He's a God of mercy. You know, his mercies endures forever. And people tend to take advantage of that. I had a conversation with somebody. I was just like shocked because the person was saying, oh, hey, you know, there is no hell. And this whole hell thing is just meant to actually just muzzle us so that we cannot just have a free uh, life and just enjoy ourselves and be merry and live in the moment. Um, you know, because at the end of the day, you know, the Bible says God's, God's mercy endures forever. So no matter what, His mercy endures forever and ever. And what is forever? Forever is everlasting. So God's mercy is always going to be there for us. That seal is always going to be there for us. And I was just amazed at, you know, this person's take on, on, on um, you know, God's mercy. You know, that cup of wrath, that cup of fury will overflow eventually. Um, There were just, there's just going to be no remedy. And here, history actually has proven that God is moving among us. You know, nature has proven that God moves among us. Um, You know, look at the way this nation was actually judged. God, first of all, took away the rain and there was famine. And now that land is arid and dry because, you know, God, you know, he, he just removed himself from there. And he says, you know, I keep coming back to you people. Turn back and turn back to me. And you don't. But the goodness is, you know, it's bittersweet. He judged them, but he's not done with that particular nation. So, you know, um, you know, God, you know, there is need for the revelation of God's anger. It's not always about, you know, telling people comforting words because, you know, people will hear the comforting words. People want to hear something that will scratch their ears. But, you know, and, and, and in the end, they want to turn their back on God and 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 but, you know. It's prudent to actually teach people. You know, you do this, you get punished. You know, you can't keep living a certain way, so you can you can you can turn your back on God, and He will judge you. Let's you know that message has to go out today. So um, you and I still, you know, God still loves us because. Um, God is the creator of this universe, and um, he is a God of love, he is a just God, he is a righteous God, and, you know, he is the God of this whole universe. So if God says this is wrong, it's wrong. He is in charge. You know, it's, it's, it's more like, um, you know, you have a home, like, you know, parents out there. I'm not a parent. I don't have my own home yet, but, you know, like, when I have my own home, there's going to be rules in my own home because I am in charge. And those rules have to be followed. Because there's a reason why I put up those rules. Why should I like have insolent children who say, uh, you know, I can't do this. Like, you know, say if curfews put up like, oh, be home by 6 p.m. And you show up home at 9 p.m. It's my home. You have to follow my rules. And we're living in God's universe. We have to follow God's rules. So, you know, let us take Christianity into our lives, into our workplaces, into our homes. And let us not turn our backs on him like, you know, the children of Israel did as, you know, it will be tragic if we do so because we are only surviving today at the mercy of God. But because we decide to be um, rebellious children and we turn against God and we think, oh, hey, because God's mercy endures forever, like the conversation I had with this particular person, and I'm thinking, oh, wow, God's mercy endures forever. Yes, God's mercy endures forever, but God's judgment is also coming. You know, you cannot choose to live a careless life and turn your back against God and defy God's rules. And you say God's mercy endures forever. Yes, it does endure. Yes, that mercy endures forever. But you know, um, God's judgment and God's wrath is actually coming. You know, we can we've seen it move in history. We've seen it move um, move move in nature. You know, you defy the laws of nature you're not going to survive. Say you decide, oh, hey, I want to defy gravity today and jump off like, you know, a 10-story building. Go jump off a 10-story building and see what happens. So, you know, God moves and lives among us and we are living in his universe. Let us not turn our backs like the children of Israel did because it ended up in a tragic way. So, yeah, this is today's teaching. Um, Thank you all for listening in and um, I hope you have a pleasant Monday. God bless and bye-bye. Bye.